Hey everybody, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know. We're a podcast that talks about the classical world. Usually that's books, sometimes philosophy, a lot of theology, and on the rare occasion, art. And we always promised architecture, but we've never done it. Not even one time in 200 episodes, and you know what? But today may be that day. Today is not it's that not day. It's not that day. Today is actually and, uh, not. Yeah. And you know what? You're not in charge, and we can do what we want. And so we may do it, we may not. That's up to us to decide. Yeah. But uh, today is an episode about the renaissance we're currently living through. Um, yeah, the world is changing, folks. And cool. you, I, I hope you feel the import of that. <laughs> wow. I, you know, I vow to talk about cathedrals now in this episode. Do I'm going to bring it up. Just we're going to kind of talk about architecture. Um, yeah, today... I, I didn't really know of like a question or a framework of it. Um, Did you introduce us? Did you say who oh, we are? Oh, who are we? No, it doesn't matter. Okay, okay. fine. Okay. We're just Graham is the one. voices. Yeah, so that that uh, voice that was just talking, ah. that's Graham, Graham Donaldson. Hello. I'm AJ Hannenberg. And I'm Thomas. Hi. Is it? And this is Thomas <laughs> okay, Fletcher thanks. Magby. Okay. I was like, waiting for my own response. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Good talk. Um, Graham, right, what there you go. There's, yeah. there's the three of us. Good. And I'm eating cornbread. There you go. Something, this is maybe the... Uh, this is a horrible thing to think about as a teacher, but there was something that my teacher did when I was in high school, the way that they framed history class that has stuck with me for, I don't know how long it's been since I've been in high school, 20 years. Dude, say like seven. Seven and years. People, <laughs> and People um, think you're way younger and hotter than you are. And, uh, <laughs> oh, no, wait, we have YouTube. We Never have mind. YouTube, yeah. Um, and it was basically, it was a teacher that, you know, was teaching history class, and they probably weren't all that into it, and um, they were just sort of teaching the textbook, and... Um, the, the history class essentially went like this. The Roman Empire was big and cool, and it did a lot of cool stuff, and it was super organized and had laws, and then it, like, went away, and then we had a thousand years of superstition. and Humanity was animals. Humanity, we had a thousand years of religious superstition, and then we had the Enlightenment, which rescued us from our ignorance, and now we live in that age now. That was the way my my and you had no problems class. with this. And well, the things at the time I didn't. Sure. At the thing I, at the time I was like, okay, this is this is history. Cool. Um, this is just the way it worked, and it made a lot of logical sense. And um, and uh, I remember the French Revolution was somewhat like framed as kind of a good thing that wasn't a good thing, but it was good that we killed kings. But it, you know, it kind of went off the rails a little bit. Anyway, whatever. Um, this was the framework that I had of like history growing up, and I suspect that this is the framework that lots of people had sure. in, in sort of history growing up. And um, and that started to change as I was sort of I read C.S. Lewis's book called The Discarded Image um, when I was in college or something. And that book, The Discarded Image, is we've done podcasts on it before, I'm sure, where Lewis is talking about the concept of the cosmos of the Middle Ages and what that meant. Um, for the people of the Middle Ages. And so um, what I kind of want to posit today is kind of a different um, reading of, of history about the Middle Ages and how the Middle Ages sort of transitioned to, this, to, the, to the age that we live in now. Um, um, so that's, that's sort of the, uh, that's the roadmap uh, for today. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Um, so... Uh, think about, okay, so let's think about this for a second. The Roman Empire was the organizing principle of the Western world for like a thousand years. Um, and it was, you could roughly divide it into two sections, the, the Republic and then the Empire where you had, a, where you had an emperor. 
And the empire was a lot longer than the republic, but that's sort of a, a natural a natural point of, of, of breaking it into these two eras. But if you think about being a person who existed in the Roman Empire, think about living in the year, you know, uh, 80 BC, or what are we, what's the more, what's the milk toast way? Yeah, there you go. Before BCE. common era? Yeah, but 80 years before Christ. Um, before the common era? Um, if you lived 80 years before the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, if you, so, like, your world was people that we, you know, France, Spain, England, Greece, Morocco, Egypt, even as far as like the, you know, getting into the beginnings of India, like that you had an organizing principle that was the, the, the law of the land, you had the same laws, you had the same coins, you had, um, you had this concept of Roman citizenship. And traveling that, was super easy. Traveling was easy because roads were good. Roads, yeah. I mean, you had a, a thing that lasted for a thousand years that gave structure to human beings, that gave structure to humanity. And then the Roman Empire, for all sorts of various reasons, which we're not getting into in this episode, uh, fell apart. Um, uh, some people think that it fell apart kind of like really fast. Some people thought it was like the sort of slow burn thing. Uh, everyone gives all sorts of different reasons as to why. But then there was an era where human beings living in those same geographical reasons no longer had the actual like physical supports of empire but also the uh, any kind of the legal supports were gone, the economic supports were gone, and even the like su- the, the the support that comes with being in a place and a time and a people was gone. You you almost had like a existential loss when the the, the whole empire fell apart, and um, there really was a period of for lack of you know two hundred to three hundred years of just sort of hand-to-mouth subsistence living and chaos in in the Western world. Um, And this is the era of, like, you know, the Vikings and tribalism, and you did not have big organizing structures. Everything fractured down to really local and really small and really dangerous, right? Uh, The only people you could trust were either, like, family or some sort of, like, close kin circles. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Everyone trusted the Huns. Yeah, sure. yeah. Um, I mean, that backfired on them later, but yeah. uh, trustworthy people. Um, so things get real fractured, real and real localized, and and um, and you all sort of have like this this year of almost like two hundred to three hundred years of probably a pretty chaotic kind of existence, and then out of that emerges the beginnings of a new frame of structure of understanding everything, both in terms of economy. Um, and legal and, and law, but also in terms of like an existential framework or the moral framework or the ability to sort of understand uh, your place in this world. So, you know, kind of out of this, you get Charlemagne becoming king in what, you know, we would, we would call France. They wouldn't have called it that. Um, but you, king Charlemagne crowned on, what, I think it's Christmas Day, the year 800. Um, and, and then sort of from there, we now enter. He's crowned on Christmas? Yeah, isn't that sweet? That's kind of cool. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then we get into this. Although sort of, I, I'm sorry, I, I guess I would feel just a bit overshadowed by you would. somebody yeah. else's day. Yeah, yeah. You, maybe there's something. Yeah, it's like when you have your birthday on Christmas Day. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of lame. Every anyway. Christmas, everyone be like, "Merry Christmas!" Be like, "I got my coronation what? day." King be king like, day. Yeah, "Yeah, coronation, happy coronation day, <laughs> jingle bells, jingle bells." Um, okay, sorry. So, and then you enter this thing called the medieval era, and 
the medieval era gave a, yeah, economic and legal framework, which we're not really going to be talking about, but it gave this sort of um, framework of grounding life and authority and government. Um, and that kind of lasted for a thousand years um, until you then began, and then you had this other sort of massive upheaval and change. And JJ, you were sort of joking about being uh, in the Renaissance, you know, living in this Renaissance that we're living in. Not joking. Yeah, you're not joking because that is is this change. Is you had this sort of the, the change in technology was the thing that kind of began to shake the thousand years of the Middle Ages into something new and something different. But anyway, let's. I want to set up the sort of I want to give the Middle Ages its due in terms of the framework that they gave to ground their whole structure. Um, the best way that you can think about this. This, uh, the framework of the Middle Ages is to kind of think of it almost like, fr- like, like um, fractally. Like what is true of the person is true of the family, so the next order up, which is true of the government, the next order up, which is true of the cosmos, the greatest order up. And so man, individual man, is a microcosm of the universe. And if you go super big, if you sort of extrapolate up to the, to the cosmic level, you have a structure and an order and a harmony. And if you go all the way down to the human level, you have that same structure of order and harmony. Well, even, even one more order up to God. Yeah. God all, the internal structure of yes. God also reflects this. And then, yes, the even universe. the internal structure of God of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is, yeah, is the same structure as the universe, which is the same structure as rational, spirited, and appetitive. Maybe. maybe. There's some sort of... Um, that man, the, the structure of man is a, is a microcosm of the uh, of the cosmos, and so in the in the mind of the for, for the person in the Middle Ages, they um, uh, they had a, uh, this idea of this grand model. C.S. Lewis calls it this image, this this image of everything. It was a model that all theology, science, and history could explain in one complex, harmonious mental model. That's, that's a quote from C.S. Lewis. And that line of being harmonious is, um, is, 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 is important. That everything in this model of the Middle Ages had a place, it had a function, um, and everything worked if everybody sort of acted according to their place and function and there was harmony if that happened, and then everything kind of fell apart if the various elements of that harmonious model rebelled against it. Um, and so this was the justification for why the king was king, was because, well, the king was king because uh, God appointed him to be king, and any rebellion against him was going to be not just a rebellion against king, but was going to be a rebellion against almost the very structure of reality itself, was against the structure of nature itself. Um, you know, and so this is why the killing of a king, if you go back to any of this Plantagenet series, the killing of, or the abdicate, the, the, the stripping of the crown and then the ultimate killing of Richard II by Henry IV and his people ends up being this huge scandalous things, not just because it's like a political coup. And like the, and so, you know, the common medieval man is not like, well, new boss, same as the old boss. They're actually profoundly troubled on like an existential level. Oh my goodness, we have maybe disrupted the very harmony of reality itself. This is going to have bad implications. It also doesn't help when there's like an eclipse, (laughs) 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 right? And that freaks you out. But anyway, so um, the the structure of, of government would be you have a king and then that king has his vassals 
and then those vassals have the people that they are in charge with, the people. Mm -hmm. And so too does man. Mankind has his rational faculties, which is the king, and then he has his spirited faculties, which are his knights, his, his vassals, and then his vassals are the ones that sort of like do the things that the head says it should do, and then you have the, uh, the people, which are, which are the appetitive faculties. They want stuff. They want stuff. Um, They're emotional. And, and the fact that they want stuff isn't bad. In fact, their wanting of stuff actually like compels the king to have to make decisions. Right. Um, and so, and then make the right decisions. So you can see that you've got the microcosm of man and you've got the micro, and then the bigger microcosm or macrocosm of government. Yes. And then that, as AJ pointed out, that even extends all the way up to the, um, the macrocosm of God himself. God is well, king. Well, have you talked cosmos yet? Like, I haven't talked cosmos. Okay. We'll get to that. So you've got God is king, and then you have his heavenly hosts, just like how the king has his vassals. God has his vassals, the angels, and all of his heavenly hosts. And then below that, then you have his creation, which is like, you know, the people. Uh, what did you want to, you know, what well, do you want to add? Well, that's cosmos, yeah, right? Yeah, so exactly. it's like there's God, the, the head, and then you have the angels and his enforcers, which are like his army. And then you have creation at the very bottom. And so that, that's one fun misunderstanding that's modern is that the, the folks who thought of the geocentric model that the, you know, the universe revolved around the earth thought the earth was the more important thing. No, most of them thought it was the garbage heap at the bottom of the universe. Mm-hmm. It was made of transitive things that got destroyed. The rest of the universe was eternal and, and more godlike than we were. And the further away you got from earth, the better things got. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was talking about even in God himself, you have a reflection of that tripartite soul. You have God the Father, who's the rational. And then you have the Holy Spirit, which is the spirited soul. And then you have the Son, who is the, the appetitive, mm-hmm. right? So even, even the internal structure of God is another reflection of this internal structure mm-hmm. of man. And, and the Son is the one that becomes incarnate. The Son is the one that becomes flesh. Mm-hmm. And, and if you have it be the, pardon me, the appetitive part, like that, you know, that sort of makes sense as well. Um, so in the, so the structure that came out of that sort of chaos, and I'm not a good enough historian to know sort of like what was happening at the end of the Roman empire that that were the seeds of the beginning of this new model that ended up becoming dominant for a thousand years. And it is dominant for a thousand years because it does, I posit that it doesn't really end until, I mean, it's a slow burnout. And there's, there's 200, 200 and 300 years of chaos where, it's, where the models are fighting each other. But I really think that the final stroke is the French Revolution, quite um, uh, explicitly and symbolically. You're cutting off the king's head. Like, that's pretty, pretty symbolic of, like, ending this model sure. if the king is the head. Anyway. I thought it was the, the supernova. Oh, and the, 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 that no, that's the. I would say that's the beginning of the end. Let, let, oh, let, the let beginning of the end, yeah. not the end of the yes. end. Yes, yeah. Let okay. me get there. Um, yeah, um, yeah. We'll talk about the supernova in a second. So, uh, so the model of the Middle Ages. So you have the. Um, um, sorry, I'm, maybe just gave me though. You should have a timer set. Look, I literally was not even thinking about oh. that. I was thinking about the champagne supernova. That was the only oh, supernova that came to mind. Champagne supernova. Yeah, that's all that came to mind. Um, what have happened to them? Are they still making music? I, not, not a clue. You'd be the person to know. I don't know. You're the music guy. Oasis. Yeah, right. I'd give you guys champagne. Thanks. Champagne that. for my real friends. In real pain for my <laughs> sham <laughs> <There> friends. <it> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Love it. All right. 
Um, I watched uh, 25th Hour not too long ago, and they have that in there. Anyway. What's, what's 25th Hour? It's a Spike Lee movie. Oh. About this guy's uh, essentially last night before he goes to jail. So uh, <laughs> anyway, he uses that quote. And it's very funny. Cool. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know where I heard that first. I think it was a student that told me that I'm once. I'm sure. That yeah. was, I thought it was very Just funny. a thing people say. Yeah. Anyway, so with this model, so um, uh, the model is supposed to give um, a home to everything. And it's supposed to sort of help explain things. So like fire, you know, fire goes up because fire has a place in this world and its place is up in heaven. And so when we make fire on earth, it's trying to like go home. Um, uh, rocks, the home for rocks is on the ground. And when we pick a rock up and we let go of it, it wants to go home. And so it has a place and that place is down. So, you know, it has, it has its own explanation for gravitation. It has its own explanation for the things that we can observe in this world. The model is supposed to explain everything. It's but is it, can mm-hmm. I can I add a fun little sure. little extra mm-hmm. hint to that? I, I, I have also read this book and I love it. And one of the things that C.S. Lewis talks about is that whenever they talked about motion or what things wanted to do, even the language they used was different. So when we ta- they talked about a rock falling, it would be a rock being inclined to head towards the ground, which mm-hmm. was its home. Or the wind was inclined to blow. That's mm-hmm. what it liked to do. It's the wind, and it loves to blow. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes so, it'll do different things. Sometimes it'll do different things, but it's inclined to blow. It likes mm-hmm. to blow. And this this way of speaking about the world almost personified all of the world, and it is no more correct or incorrect than the way that we talk about things, which is in terms of obedience, right? Well, that's, Lewis, rock, and that's Lewis's point at the end of the book. Yeah, the rock obeys the laws of gravity, right? Well... Obedience is just as much a personification as Inclination. The, ro- the rock being inclined to fall. That, I, that's addressing exactly what I was going to ask, because isn't literally this entire worldview objectively wrong in that the rock does not will anything? Like, there is gravity that has an impact on the rock, but the rock has not willed to go down. Yes, but we still we still use language that is a personification, except one seems to steal a little bit of the life from the universe and the other doesn't as much. But, yeah. A rock cannot obey things. Correct, but that's where the old. I don't know if this is a thing that comes up later, and I don't. I don't know where the episode's going, but like that view is wrong. Yeah, scientifically, it's patently wrong. Okay, You're just, totally correct. Okay. I'm just saying that that that's one of my favorite things is if you if you bring a little bit of that personification language back, man, it makes the world seem a little bit more magical. Yeah, sure. It's like whimsical, right? Yeah, yeah, so, a little bit of whimsy. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, continue. Sorry for the um, interruption. Yeah. So again, so the, you have this model that that's developed that is that is trying to explain everything. Um, uh, it's trying to give uh, a groundwork for the legitimacy of a form of government. Um, it gives a, gr- a legitimacy for a form of economics, which we're not really going to get into, but the idea of, of the sort of the, um, uh, the monasteries and the, and the feudal state uh, and, and the knights paying um, sort of vassalage to their king, that honorable relationship ends up being the, the ties that are binding the system together, whereas that's, it becomes quite a different thing when we get into the, our, our more modern era where like our, our word and our, on our, the word one gives to and, and the loyalty one gives to a leader is not really a valuable thing anymore. Right. Um, but that was everything then. Um, and so everything, so the universe was, was um, was now fine. Well, the universe was finite, and, and for very importantly, for the mind of the middle person in the Middle Ages, the universe was structured. Um, and you had an explanation for when things seemed chaotic, it was because things were acting out of their divinely appointed, appointed place. Uh, if um, so, in our Plantagenet story, people start to think things are going downhill for England 
because, you know, our great King Henry V died, well, because his grandfather, his father was an abdic- was abdicated the throne. And of course things are going to go downhill. We've gone outside the bounds of nature and put, you know, an unnatural person into the line of, of the House of England or the line of, of King England. Of course this thing's going to go bad. Um, and the fascinating thing about the Middle Ages is, is this gets mirrored in everything. It gets mirrored in the very buildings they make. Um, so, uh, cathedrals, cathedrals in, in, you're just bringing this no, up. No, I'm doing this on purpose. It was in my notes. <laughs> I have it right here. Sure. So cathedrals are also meant to be buildings that symbolically embody this system of everything fitting into it. When you walk into a cathedral, they are built and designed to elevate the eyes up, right? You can go to any, if you're on like a trip in France or you go on a trip and you're at this grand cathedral, uh, just stand by the door and just like watch the people as they come in. And as soon as they come in, like their eyes are elevated up into the cathedral, to the windows, uh, to the light. Everything is, your, your whole point of view and vision is funneled towards the front, towards the apse. That is where God is to be. So, you know, right in front of the apse is the altar where God comes down and comes to us in the form of the Eucharist. That's where the whole thing happens, right? Like the very building itself is designed to fit into this system. I'm sure there's probably even more rabbit holes that we could go down that, that says that that structure of God, which is the structure of man, which is the structure of government, which is the structure of the cosmos is probably also mirrored in a cathedral in some way that I don't, that I don't know about. Um, all that to say, it should not surprise us if that is the case, because this is how the, the mind of, of the Middle Ages worked, is that there was a, uh, this, uh, that the cosmos was, yeah, finite and structured and ordered. What was true of man was true of the cosmos, and, and all of these things sort of uh, worked, um, worked together. Um, um, so, harm, so government's job was, was har- harmony. Like, uh, if a government is functioning according to nature, according to the, uh, how it was made, you were going to have harmony, and then discord was going to come when, any, when things ever broke that apart. Um, it should, so it is not surprising that the things that begin to chip away at this image is not people saying, oh man, doesn't it suck when we have a king who's kind of a jerk bag? Really, that guy's appointed by God? I mean, those weren't the great scandals of the Middle Ages. The great scandals of the Middle Ages were, well, you made reference to one. What was it? The supernova. Yeah, explain it. So for medieval man, everything in the cosmos beyond the earth was eternal, unchanging, right? The planets were unchanging. They're always on the same circular track. The, The heavens were unchanging. And all of this eventually led to God, who was eternal, not in the sense that it was a successive series of moments, but in that he had basically illimitable life and time exploding in all, at all, in all directions always. Mm-hmm. And so the f- like, further away you get, get, got from Earth, the more eternal and better things were. They considered Earth to be the place where everything sort of died, right? Which is not as good as being eternal. And so when they saw something in the heavens end, it changed that perspective. Clearly, not everything in the heavens was eternal. Mm -hmm. Something was different. Like that right there probably signaled to them that we have our model wrong. Something is suspect. There was a star that went supernova and and it did not, it was a data point that they could not fit into the model. Yeah. And so this, so it it makes a lot of sense that the the thing that happened that began to chip away at the model was cosmic. 
you had two, you know, and this is the thing that maybe 10th grade high school English in, when I was a kid got right, you know, technology began to change the model. And the first big one was the telescope. When you had the telescope, you were able to assess the heavens in a way that you couldn't before. And, you know, you begin to see that, holy crap, Mars is doing something weird. And it's like, you know, the Mars retrograde motion. Mars is not going in this predictable pattern. Every now and then Mars goes backwards for some reason. And this freaked people out. Um, and Because they um, thought that even the motions themselves yes. were sort of this yeah. holy... Oh, did you know, what was the cool thing that happened to Mars this week? Anybody know? No. Uh, it went behind the moon. Oh, yeah, sure. I did And that. you could actually watch Mars. So I, I, I saw it. Uh, Mars was, well, the moon was, was out and right to the sort of, you know, bottom left-hand corner of the moon, you could see Mars. And then uh, by the time, uh, about, you know, a couple hours later, it was on the top left-hand side of the moon. It went behind the moon and huh. it disappeared for a minute. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Anyway. It, was su- it was super cloudy. We had trouble seeing it. But yeah, that happened this week. That happened this week. Monday, Monday um, or Tuesday. Anyway, so you have what the telescope. Marshall eclipse? Is that what they call it? I have no, no clue. Uh, yeah, there's a ter- it's not even a, an, an eclipse. It's like yeah, it's an, not an eclipse. It's a... There's some, there's some name for it where it goes behind a planet. A Marsy lunar looky-loo. Mar- Technical. How did you know? Yeah. So you have the telescope, and all of a sudden, you have the lunar ability... Lunar occultation Ocul- of Mars. Cool. O- O-C-C-U-L-T-A-T-I-O-N. I like mine better. Okay. Lunar loo. Yep. Um, so all of a sudden you had a, a piece of technology put into the hands of people that gave, that everyone was expecting was going to be something that would help confirm the model and confirm the system. And, um, and then there was data points and things that they could observe in the heavens that were not easily fitting into this model. Um, now, Kepler, I'm sorry, Copernicus and Galileo both um, were astronomers. Copernicus um, did not run afoul of the church, and Galileo did. They were both essentially doing and saying very similar things. They were talking about the heliocentric universe as opposed to the geocentric universe. They were pointing out some of the um, inaccuracies of the heavens that didn't really neatly fit into the model that we had had before. And And so, you know... Uh, uh, why didn't Copernicus run afoul of the church, but Galileo did? Well, Copernicus attempted to fit the findings that he found, and we're not going to get into the weeds on what he was doing, but he attempted to fit his data that didn't immediately fit into the model. He was trying to fit it into not the structure of the universe, not just because he wanted to, f- he was superstitious or whatever, but because the structure of the universe was also the structure of man, which was also the structure of government, which was the structure of everything. And, and he really wanted to harmonize what he observed into everything else about, the, about existence. And Galileo basically was like, friggin' don't care. Who cares? And the reason why, you know, um, the powers that be go after Galileo is because Galileo was, um, uh, the, the implications of what Galileo, Galileo didn't care about the system. Galileo was sort of like progressing beyond the system. Um, and, uh, and was, uh, and, you know, was sort of positing that maybe the system isn't as, as comprehensive as we think it is. And it's that piece of, of, um, 
extrapolation that begins that, that makes everybody nervous and why Galileo gets in trouble is because he's not just calling into question the motion of the heavens, like Copernicus is doing that. Kepler did that. Um, Tycho Brahe did that. Um, the guy with the silver nose, you know this? He lost his nose in a fight, I think. Or he, someone, he lost his nose and he replaced it with a silver one. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I know. Um, but Galileo also in doing it was also implying that everything that we have in the system is, is up for question. And that's just like, well, now we're just welcoming in, you know, some sort of chaos. And what, what started this was technology. Um, uh, the, the piece of technology meant that the, um, that the system itself um, uh, could, be, could be scrutinized by more people and under its scrutiny, bega- its inconsistencies began to trouble people, right? Yep. And then you had the printing press, and the printing press was able to translate the you have translations of the Bible, and when you have translations of the Bible, um, uh, you have the same sort of thing. The Bible now can be opened up to scrutiny from all sorts of different people, and you now have disagreements, and eventually those disagreements be, lead to um, massive conflict within the church. You go from from a sort of um, uh, universal Catholic church of the year 1100 to the fractured church of the 1600s, um, uh, because people can read the Bible and they can be like, "Wait a minute, the th- Paul, you know, Saint Paul talks about the priesthood of all believers, but." I have a priest. His name is Jim, mm-hmm. and he's my priest. And who's right? And these are questions that are going that need a lot of sort of contextualizing and going back to talking about. Um, but when these questions, when when this also is the framework for all of reality and government and ethics and the very understanding of what it means to be a person is wrapped up in this harmonious system. And now you have not only the Bible, but you have the heavens, which are call- which under closer scrutiny are qual- calling into question the unity of that system, massively destabilizing cognitively to people. Like this must have been, I don't even think we have any, th- well, I don't even know if we have uh, uh, an equivalent to that today. Maybe what will happen, maybe what we're going through with technology right now we, is something. We kind of do, as far as I understand. Yeah. You know the new telescope we put out? Yeah. This is my understanding. I, I could be wrong about this. I, I've, I've only done cursory research, but they were, with that new telescope, they can see further and further and further into, essentially, the past than ever before. And what they were expecting to see was galaxies in their nascent stages, you know, as they as they form and develop. They, they were expecting to see a certain thing as in accordance with the Big Bang. Mm-hmm. It's not what they're seeing. Yeah. They're seeing fully formed, completed galaxies that are not commensurate with the Big Bang theory, and so therefore we like Big Bang theory is being shaken. Yeah, that's my understanding. So they're looking for a different theory of the beginning of the universe. Thomas is uh, I'm trying to googling furiously. So the more you, so the te- the technology that you have again, you know, begins to um, uh, poke holes in the in the system of understanding and the framework of making sense of the world. It's it's it is increasing our knowledge but it's also undercutting the system that we put in place to fill in the gaps of, the, of our knowledge. Does that make sense? So, um, yeah, so you had, the, you had the telescope and you had the, the printing press, just to simplify, uh, that, that put the universe and the moral world and the scriptural world into greater scrutiny, and then you had the, um, the then you sort of had everything kind of fracture into a thousand different ideas. So in the Middle Ages, 
what gave um, the government, so let's just talk government, what gave government legitimacy? Well, it was that you were born and from a certain family and that meant that God wanted you to be king. The motto or the like, the creed of the British monarchy, you know what it is? The actual like words that they say that is like, this is our motto. It is, the motto is God and my right. <laughs> that is that is the motto of the British of the British crown. It, it's super curious to me whether or not Charles is going to say that when he becomes coronated. Is that, um, that's what they're supposed to say. Because that's what they're supposed to say, yeah. I guess in Latin maybe. But God and my right. In fact, this was often what kings would yell when they would run into when the British kings would go into battle. Um, they would yell, God and my right. And that so that was the the underpinning of, you know, of their uh, of the the authority and the legitimacy, legitimacy of their government. Can I, but yeah. like, isn't that then a false legitimacy? Like, sure. Uh, I mean, I get, it depends what, how you want to. I'm just want like, um, so this model is built up, and it said that like all this stuff is built in a certain order, and that order is mirrored on Earth, and then we find out actually the universe isn't modeled the way that we thought it was. Like, shouldn't there then be that upheaval? So that? there's two ways to think about it. Either the universe, either the universe isn't the way we thought it was, and the model needs to be destroyed, and that's the more sort of chaotic way to go about it, and that's what ended kind of up what happening. Yeah. And the other way to look about it is um, the model is still right, but we need to be able to sort of fold in these new things into the model and maybe change the model a little bit to incorporate this, but not completely blow the whole thing up altogether. But when the thing is, when the model is undergirding everything from the man's understanding of man to like how nations are formed, to how laws are passed, to... Um, you know, how wealth is, in, is used, um, the shaking of the model leading, uh, the, the chaos option is, is probably like the path of least resistance for human beings than the like slow modification model. Sure. Okay. And so now you get in this era of, of this, like, um, this working out of, of all of these new things and you get all of these brand new questions getting put into it. What is the grounding of the authority of a government, for example. Well, that's where you get Rousseau, right? Now you've got Rousseau who says it's like, you know, when people are in their natural state, they're happiest, but they have to give things up. Then you've, or you've got Hobbes, which says people are in a natural state, like friggin' hate each other. And the only way to keep each other from each other's throats is to create government. You now have a million different theories as to how things should be organized coming out of the blown up unified theory of the Middle Ages. Mm. I'm not saying that this is a good movement for humanity or bad movement for humanity. I'm just saying that this is this is what sort of this is what was happening. But what you do have in the history of Europe, in the history of the West, is you do have another kind of 250 years of kind of chaos. And those were the religious wars. Right. A, probably one of the I think one of the darkest times for in Christian history is you have Catholics and Protestants killing each other. Um, you have the French butchering the Huguenots. You have the English killing the Catholics. Um, you have uh, different nations sort of doubling down on theological positions because of also because of political reasons. So the Irish really go into Catholicism because it's not Anglicanism and it's not right. and it's not Presbyterians. You have the Presbyterians in Scotland because I don't like Anglican. Like you have this real sort of dark sectarian time in the church um, where everyone's sort of going at each other's throats. And um, this doesn't really end until you, and, and, and sort of the more fashionable thinkers are the ones that are, are the deists or the ones that are like, let's take religion off the table, 
clearly if we have religion and government or religion and, and civil life too intermixed, we're going to be killing each other. So the, the more enlightened thinkers are the ones that are like, God is a watchmaker who creates the watch and hits play and then off it goes and, and then leaves us to our own devices and it's up to us to figure things out. You know, that's sort of the deistic position. And so the more sort of enlightened position at the time is to say, can we create a society that can incorporate a bunch of different points of view and a bunch of different positions and a bunch of different theologies and religions and has a grounding and authority that doesn't have to go back to the old model of the Middle Ages that had been organizing us for a thousand years. They have sort of this dream of the tolerant society, this dream of a society that can incorporate different kinds of people. And then, um, um, and then you have two, yeah, so the, that's kind of like, that's, that's what Rousseau is thinking of, that's what Hobbes is thinking of, that's what Locke is talking about, that's what all these sort of political thinkers are getting, are, 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 are positing and hoping for, and they're all coming out of essentially 200 years of, of um, religious, conflict. religious conflict and then different kinds of experiments of government. So the French double down on the divine right of kings and they say like Louis XIV is like almost God, right? There's, there's one flavor. Then you've got the parliamentary flavor in England. You've got Republican flavors coming up in different places. Um, you've got uh, the Germans who are like pretty pretty quick to put their kings to the side and, and, uh, and you, you know, and you kind of have this federation thing going on, right? Like, um, you have all of these sort of different experiments of, of this, but in the background, there's this question of, okay, can we have a society that is, that can be peaceful? So we're not at each other's throats, but these differences can remain. We can, and, and we don't have to have religious purity tests for people to be part of society because in, in England, you could only like get a job if you're Anglican. If you're Catholic, you had to like pretend you weren't. Um, can we have a society where that doesn't have to happen? Um, and uh, you know, and you sort of have two attempts: one that failed in the French Revolution, and then one that was successful in the American Revolution. Um, and um, uh, the French Revolution, you know, I, I think the the killing of Louis the Sixteenth and the cutting off of the head of the king is that sort of um, is the final act in the, the, in the chaos that started with that supernova. So that supernova comes and, and everyone says, woof, like, this doesn't jive. And then you have the people rising up and cutting off the head of the king and saying, you know, this system is not right. Like, there, there is a better way to do it, and they try to enact their sort of republic. It doesn't work. Well, that's actually a really interesting question. Why do you think the French Revolution... Why do you think the French Revolution didn't work where the American Revolution did in terms of Did the create... French Revolution not work? Yeah, because you have ten year you have ten years of butchery and then you get basically uh, God Emperor King Napoleon fifteen years later. You why you're saying it worked because like the monarchy ended? Yeah. But and that that wasn't the whole goal of it. The whole I mean monarchy ended, but they just replaced it with an emperor emperor. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, I don't know I don't that much about French history, so... I don't have a good answer to that. Yeah. Geography has to be part of it. The fact that you're like... Yeah, imagine you're a French peasant, and you're walking down the street, and you see the temple... You see the, the cathedral of... You know, you see one of the, the ancient cathedrals. You see Notre Dame in Paris. 
that's a reminder of the old ways. Right. But if you're a dude walking down, like, uh, walking in Boston, like, you don't, you don't have visual reminders of the old ways. You were part of something new. So there's probably something to that, that the geography of being able to get out of the old world and go to this new world and try this new thing, um, uh, that's, it's sort of like, that has, America has the sort of like the positive energy, yeah, whereas Europe memory. has the negative energy, if that yeah. makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, and it is people fleeing the religious persecution anyway, right. coming to America. So, um, um, so then, yeah, you've got this, um, anyway, uh, yeah, so, uh, out of an organizing principle that lasted for a thousand years, like in the middle ages, you have a period of sort of 200 to 300 years of real political, economic, and, and, and existential chaos. Like the, the, the framing of who a person is and what his allegiances are is fundamentally shaken. So you would have somebody like Rousseau or even just think of the romantics, people that come up and say like, you know what sucks? Families. Like we don't right. need family. Uh, um, marriage is this like construct or man is born free and everywhere is in chains. Like, that is not a medieval phrase. Um, it's, you know, um, you know, man is born as part of the grand imperium and right. is everywhere happy. Right? Right. That's the, that's, um, so you have this 200 years. If he does his job. Yes, if he stays in his role. Yeah. If you stay in your lane, like, that's so British, right? Like, just, just like, do your lot. Right. It's um, also uh, Platonian. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. And so then you have, you know, 200 years of a lot of experiments and a lot of chaos and a lot of bloodshed. And then out of that bloodshed, you know, the beginnings of a new way of doing something. And so then the, it just raises that question. Is that America, that sort of the American experiment of the um, tolerant. So a lot, in, in other words, having lots of different. Uh, a society that can absorb and incorporate l different viewpoints on those existential questions. Um, uh, so a tolerant society, a secular government, I know that's probably going to rub people the wrong way, but I, I think that's part of, like, the president does not, the, the parliament, or sorry, Congress does not ground their authority in divine appointment. Sure. They still, we don't. Also it's the don't will of the sins. people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. It is the will of the people. Right. Um, so in that sense, it is, a, it is a secular grounding. So a tolerant and secular grounding. Um, and, uh, and then we can talk, the economic model is a whole other podcast. Um, is that an organizing principle? That, and, 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 and democratic representative government. Um, is that the sort of the next a thousand years organizing principle um, that will one day then be rocked by some kind of like technological advance that ushers in two hundred other years of chaos and and then and, and, and an, another move to another organizing principle? Um, anyway, maybe maybe we can save that that conversation for the uh, yeah for the so after the yes. yeah yeah I, I think the answer is yes maybe we can sort of bat that idea around in the in the after part. Okay. Um, but we still have plenty of time. I know, we? but I'm just but but I guess what I wanted to get across with this framing of it is that you um, is that we as modern people who are living in in the framework. And AJ, this is kind of what you were getting at with um, um, should we look our noses down at the medi medieval person that said the rock is inclined to the earth when we definitely know that it is obeying the laws of like it is gravity. It is obeying. It is be, it is being this sort of like 
scientific fact that we have this thing called gravity, which well, we can't really explain, but it's a thing, and, and it's a bit, and, you know, and the rock is doing it. Um, um, are we not just in as much of a system that we've constructed in order to make sense of the world, to give um, a definition of what it means to be a person, a definition of wh- where we ground the authority of our rulers and our government, a... Um, a framework to understanding the universe, infinite and amoral. That's that's our that's our our groundwork. The right. universe is infinite and it has and it is bound. It is just physics and rocks and fireballs, um, um, and um, yeah. So we we have a system, and that system is going to be the organizing principle for human beings for a thousand years. The Middle Ages had an organizing principle that was that worked for a thousand years until technology called it into question. And then the Roman Empire, they going back, they had a system that lasted for a thousand years that that changed, and you had sort of two hundred years of chaos. And then you get kind of into this sort of I don't know who are those fourth turning dudes? What are those guys' names? Strauss. Yeah, I Strauss and Howe. Sure. Yeah. Um, then you get into that kind of like reading of history that you have this sort of cycle thing going on that you have this like. You have an era of humanity where we have a, I don't know if it's an idea, it's a mental model that everybody, that everybody is a part of that gives structure to human beings and allows us to exist. And that and model- it's mostly unshakable. And it's mostly unshakable and it is, it is um, total in its, uh, in its definitions of all sorts of various realms, economic, government, moral, physical, metaphysical, it is a system that unifies all of those things into giving us a, a framework for action in life. And then there are eras of human history where that framework gets absolutely obliterated and man sort of reverts back into this sort of subsistence living chaotic time. And then out of that chaotic time comes the beginning of a new system which then has its time in the sun for a thousand years. And then that system does the exact same thing, although in a different system, it gives structure to our sense of self, sense of universe, morality, government, economics, all of that's bound up together. And then that system gets blown apart, maybe blown apart's too strong because it does take from... from Eroded. Yeah, eroded. That's even better because it goes from an eclipse to, you know, the chaos of the French Revolution is 400 years. Um... And then... Um, well, they were cool with eclipses, wasn't it? The sorry, not the eclipses, supernova. the supernova, yeah. yeah. Um, because eclipses you could predict. Right. Um, and then you have well, and they supernova. saw a bunch of them. Like, they this this wasn't their first rodeo with an eclipse. Um, and then out of the chaos of the religious wars comes the beginning of the, uh, uh, of the American society, the, the, the society that... Or the, the society that's based on, on well... Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These were, that wasn't just an American idea. The French Revolution had their own fraternité, égalité, uh, brotherhood, freedom, and equality. And so they had their their same kind of concept. Didn't really work in France. Um, Worked better in in the U.S. Um, And uh, and so then we now have this, we have some sort of model that we're under. A model that tells us who we are in terms of what a human being is, what the universe is, the economic principle, and um, uh, the, the, the structure of government, and all of these things are in a mental model. 
And then what is going to be the thing that comes and, and completely blows that apart? I have no idea. There's, it's probably, I don't know, AI or something. But, well, I was just uh, going to say, uh, so I started this episode. Are you, yeah, go for more it. to come? You do your thing. No, that's, that's sort of, that, that's where I wanted to. Well, I started this episode by saying that we are sort of in our own renaissance, and I absolutely believe it. In the past 30 years, we've seen technical revolutions and societal revolutions that would have taken ages and ages and ages to do in the past, right? We're seeing revolutions in art. We're seeing revolutions in, I mean, especially technology. I think it's going to have incredibly far-reaching implications. And I, I, as you were talking, I, I had only thought about how we were in a renaissance and how a lot of people don't sort of realize that we are in a golden age of civilization, I was thinking, okay, what's what's the next chaos? And I think I think it's going to be. You said maybe AI. I think uh, Star Trek predicted it well, and so did uh, Kurt Vonnegut in his book Player Piano when he talked about the de- devaluation of the human, and eventually we are going to sort of give over most of our responsibilities to machines, and then realize that that has basically made us <laughs> worthless and youth- useless, and then have some sort of reaction against those machines or some sort of revolution according to that. I, I don't know if that's the only thing that's coming. I think ideologically we're seeing the erosion of our model, right? That we tolerate all ideas and that is the very center of our, our ethos. And I, I don't think it's a functional one. I don't think it works very well. And I think that's, that's kind of eroding along with perhaps, I mean, I told you about the Big Bang model kind of up for grabs right now. And I think the same is coming slowly for evolution. I know this is going to make me sound like a, like a caveman, but... I don't think the evolutionary model works. I think there are several scientific problems with it. Well, if I can just jump in for a second. Like, we dunk on the Middle Ages and say, man, their model, so they had such inconsistencies. How could anybody ever believe that? And yet we have a model that says um, um, it is a material universe where we are just hormones and electrons and carbon, and you have, like, a moral realm where you need to do right and wrong, and we can build laws about what is correct, what, what is right and what is wrong. I mean, yeah, exactly. Those you have a hard really time really squaring that circle. And, you know, someone could very, someone from the Middle Ages could very easily look at us and say, like, how can you hold those two things together at the same time and not realize their inconsistency? We'd be like, ah, well, you know, we just don't, you know, the model works. Yeah, you can't, you can't derive an imperative mood from an indicative mood. Yeah. So by pointing out that this is what science is telling us, I can never say, therefore, we should do X. Yeah. You, can, you cannot do it. But we, but we still operate and function in this world as though we can as though we do and then but like when you ask people what they think about well what is a what is a person you you know you are going to get the person that says oh we're just we're just you know meat and then they said but you should also not be racist but you shouldn't be yes <laughs> yeah. You, yeah but there are these things you ought to do but it is a cold empty meaningless universe and it's like oh gosh how do you how, yeah how do you fit that thing together so yeah. there's inconsistencies in our model just as there's inconsistencies in in the medieval model and presumably there was inconsistencies in the Roman model. And how all that's going to kind of fall apart is the big question, I yeah. guess. Yeah. But isn't the, I mean, the value then becomes reducing human suffering. Take that as an example. And that's why, like, sure, we're meeting electrons and hormones and whatever, but so is everyone else. And so because I want things to be a certain way for me, I also want that for others. I don't want to be, I don't want people to be mean to me. So I don't, I, I don't want to be hurt myself. Therefore I don't want others to be hurt. Like there's, you can get a, you can get a principle from that. And the, the principle ostensibly is selfishness, right? I do these sure. things because I don't want to be hurt, but yeah. then why should I ever go to war? Uh, because my, uh, a person's way of life would be, uh, theirs would, but, but my way of life would end. I'm totally cool with hurting you. So I don't get hurt. 
uh, no, don't hurt people. Like that. no, 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 no. I don't want to get I me. Mean, I don't want to get hurt. Don't hurt my. Don't hurt my people. Right. Hmm. I don't. It, I it guess causes, I'm not seeing the inconsistency. It causes ethical problems. Like based on that system, I could never ask someone to go to war on my behalf. They they would ask. Oh, so so I guess less suffering for the species is a good thing. But why should it have to be his suffering? Uh, right. Like. And why, why should he suffer? Well, Especially I mean, if he's dead, why does he care about the suffering of everybody else? Yeah, but this is then where technology requires there not be as many people to go to war. Therefore, you don't like. Yeah, but that's just a that's a, that's a lucky dodge from an ethical question. The but the, eth- the answer to the ethical question was the draft. I, I don't. This is taking things afield of I think where the point yeah, was. But like enough. the draft was to force people into fighting that war because they were a part of a society, right? And then technology solves that problem by it's no longer humans going into that war, right? It's um, uh, machines that are taking that place. True. My point is when the when the ethos is selfishness, avoiding your own suffering, that, that causes a whole lot of other problems for things that we want for other folks. Why, why should I care about how justice is done so long as it just isn't done to me and anybody who bothers me is taken care of? Why should I care about racism? Yes, that same thing of, again, you d- things that you don't want done to you, you don't want done to others, I think. Why, why, like, but what, my question is, why don't I? Why don't I want pain? I mean, why don't I want, why, don't, why do I care what happens to other people? Because, because of the selfishness that I don't want it done to me. Because so, I don't want pain done to but me. But then I shouldn't care about humanitarian issues on the other side of the world. They're not ever going to do anything to me. I, I give two rips, right? The only reason I could ever be involved is because it sets perhaps a principle that could therefore come upon my own head. It, it basically reduces man to only his most base preferences. I simply don't want to suffer, and I'll only help you if you could possibly co- cause me suffering in the future. That's not that. That's an ethos that doesn't I just result think that's in a mis- good morality. Again, I don't. I'm, I'm not sure this is the point Graham is getting to. But yeah, we again, might be a little far afield. Yeah, but even that of like I want to reduce someone else's suffering is because I know what suffering is. I think this is a Wittgenstein point. It's, some, it's someone's point of like the only thing that you know people feel is pain. I'm, I'm going to get this wrong, but it's like, I know that there is suffering in the world and I know that there are ways to reduce it. I know what suffering feels like for me. So then like, why not reduce it? I don't like, again, uh, I just don't want to get into a caricature of like people. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure going down this path is fruitful. My, my, uh, but I see what you mean. Not to, not to under, not to give a straw man to the the ethical framework on the other side. Is that what you're trying to establish? Sure. The the thing I'm... Graham, I think you are wanting to say that things were better in the Middle Ages. No, not necessarily. I'm just saying, I want, what I'm wanting to do is I'm wanting to give dignity to the, to a thousand years of, of uh, you know, a huge part of the globe had, for a thousand years, yeah. had a system that kept every that that sort of um kept a civilization going without it completely devolving into just subsistence bloodshed sure and we have that now um yes there, there are wars and things but i mean we have a we have a a a, a coherent system yeah the middle and the middle ages had a coherent system and then we have these periods of breakdown and then new systems emerge from them um and I'm wanting to point out that there are inconsistencies and incoherencies in the system of the Middle Ages, and there are incoherencies and inconsistencies in, the, in our modern system, and some new piece, and, and usually technology or yeah, technology or people starting to to um, 
critically engage with their with the system that they live in yeah. that starts to call that system into question or even huge political changes in the case of the Roman Empire yeah um, that those are those are the areas upon which like um, there's usually like a disproportionate show of force against those people so like you know they throw the book at Galileo oh. because if he's right everything we're doing is wrong and so there's there's got to be people right now that are doing something similar who are calling into question the legitimacy of the system, that is, what it means to be a person, what grounds the authority of our government, um, uh, 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 our understanding of the universe. And if they're right, I, I can't think of an example at the top of my head, but if they're right, then that, um, then, then the book's going to be thrown at them as well. Um, the only thing that I can think of is if, if one of our beliefs in this tolerant system is that um, sort of uh, human pleasure insofar as it doesn't hurt other people is an okay thing. This gets into real sticky problems of what happens when we can create, you know, sort of robots that look like people that aren't people and we can do things with them. Um, um, We can get real dark and say robots that look like children and maybe that's what we give to people that are pedophiles so that we can like take them away, get them out of our, keep them away from schools and, and let them sort of enter into their, into their whatever they've got with something that is more benign. Though, you know, those things are, those things are, it's that kind of thing that, that is shedding, uh, is sort of pointing a light to the, to the, the organizing system that when people look at it, they're like, oh gosh, maybe this isn't, there's something, there's something wrong about this. Just like when, when Galileo looked up and said, um, the universe isn't what we thought it was, people were like, ooh, maybe there's something wrong about this. Like, it's just um, uh, those things that sort of that destabilize us in our full understandings of the way that, that everything works it happens when there's periods of really mass technological change. And as AJ really points out, we're kind of in one. And um, you th- you see signs of that destabilization? I don't know. I don't know because just like in the example that we were talking about, like you've got you've got it kind of working away in the background, and it doesn't really come to its violent head for like like two hundred years later. So you just sort of wonder if there are things working in the background that are are the seeds of the destruction of the current system, and are also or sorry the, the engines of the destruction of the current system, and the seeds of the creation of the of the new, new. system that's going yeah. to be coming in. Um, so, you know, uh, Alistair McIntyre very famously says that um, Benedict and the Benedictine Monastery were the seeds of the new system that, that basically powered Europe. After the fall of the Roman Empire, you have these monasteries, which are these small little microcosms of government that end up being superimposed over the rest of Europe, and that ended up being the system that they had. Um, and then, so, you know... Do we, well, what is that right now? Is it happening right now? Maybe it's not even happening right now. Maybe that, maybe those, maybe our supernova isn't for, for another generation or whatnot. Um, but to, th- uh, but that sort of, that, that challenges the more modern notion, which is that history is sort of like up and to the right in terms of, of, of value and betterment and, and, and rightness, that our system is more right than, the system of the Middle Ages, and um, um, maybe it is. Maybe it's more technically correct to say that the rock is acted upon from gravity, a thing that we don't have a definition for. 
Because how would you define our system? That's everything is material. Your thing you were saying. Um, before? Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great question too. Is do we? How the thing is, we don't have as unifying a system as the Middle Ages does. We have um, a much more a mosaic nature to our system. Whereas you know, because we can have um, um, uh, people who believe in the eternal soul uh, buying groceries next to somebody who thinks that we're that we're just. Um, better, better animals, you know? And so then, so when we kind of don't have that unifying system in society, which is the system, I guess the system of, of sort of, um, something, something that can catch all beliefs in a way that is that we're not going to kill each other over it. What is keeping us from killing each other? I guess it's like material prosperity. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, your predecessor who taught the government class would pose that question of what's like the common good that motivates, I forget if, if she framed it as, uh, what is the United Americans the or United? Yeah. Um, I think the economic one is probably underplay. I, like, I think that's a better answer than I it think sounds it is. when you say like that. Yeah. No, I, but I think it's true. I think the, the fact that like we aren't the fact that the, the thing that holds a lot of this together is that we have a lot of our needs taken care of and we don't need to fight over the framework of it because we've, we have things. And because we're allowed to have our own thing. Yeah, right? we're allowed to have our own thing. I'm things. not going to go totally bananas over your thing so long as I'm allowed to do my own thing. Yeah, and if you're not going to get, if AJ is not allowed to have things because he's Catholic, you know, you know, like we did, but no, he can, even if he's Catholic or not. If he's Catholic, yep. he's, um, he can still have his stuff, so there's no there's no reason to, like, go to the mattresses over, over those sorts of things. Whereas in the Middle Ages, like, your getting of stuff really did depend on how you fit into the system because if right. you were outside of the system well, you were in rebellion against the whole and that meant that things were not going to be harmonious and that's yeah. and that's bad that's why i think mm. that uh and maybe this will go into in between i'm not i'm not sure but like in terms of thinking about what our system is versus middle ages i think it's closer to the everyone gets to believe whatever they want to mm-hmm. and less to the we're all meet walking around with electrical signals because like yeah, yeah we yeah. are okay with people I, I, believing I can, kind of whatever they want fair. to mm-hmm. and then i think you know, I think there's a great case. Like, I think it's a great improvement of we can live alongside people who are wildly different from us and not kill each other. And I think that's like, in terms of moral improvement, mm-hmm. like that, it's got to like be up there in the top five, right? I think like, you're, no, I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, I, I I know people think I'm going to come across as someone who's a big dumpy shorts over the mo- over our modern system. But I think you look back at all the kinds of systems that exist and this yeah. is the best it's a good one. good one, yeah. And there, I, I think it's interesting and we should probably think more about what those inconsistencies are. Yeah. Like, uh, like I, we're doing pretty good, but I feel pretty good. Not yeah. only know our inconsistencies, but also really understand what does ground our beliefs in the institutions that we have. Sure. Because what does give like on paper, what gives the government its legitimacy is the will of the people. Um, and is that how it is? And but is that is that how it's actually functioning itself? Like, is, is it working that way? Probably, yeah. Um, so then we need to think. Okay, what are the things that could happen that would absolutely blow um, that belief and institution out of the water? Well, it would be if we did not have free elections. That right. would be a big deal. Sure. Uh, anyway, cool. Um, so I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what the whole point of this episode is, other than to say that. Um, I find that to be a, a, a much more um, honest reading of history to say 
I don't know. If, I don't know if you can extend this backwards, but to say you had a thousand years of the Roman Empire, and then you had this year of recalibration that was chaotic, and then you had a thousand years of the Middle Ages, and you had these three hundred years of recalibration that were chaotic that ended in the French Revolution, which is quite symbolically decapitating the system. Right. Um, and now we're living in this era of of this of a new system that we live in, and you know it's only three hundred. We're only three hundred years in, or whatever. And I. I'm more, I know some people think that I'm doom and gloom, but I think I'm actually more of the camp that this thing runs for 700 more years before something completely blows it it up. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, this has been Classical Stuff You Should Know. Once again, I'm AJ, there's Graham, and also Thomas. And uh, you can email us at theguysclassicalstuff.net. We don't always respond to those just because we have busy lives and we're in school and some of us are going, you know, just finishing going to school and some of us are teaching school. Oh, yeah. So Thomas just, is a graduate of a college. Congratulations on your BA, right? Uh, yeah, I yeah. do have one. Uh, he yeah, finally graduated yeah, college. Finally got one of those, yeah. So we read those. We don't always have time to reply to them, but we will read them. So if you don't get a reply, it doesn't mean we haven't seen it. We just you know, might have, not have time to reply to all of them. You can also visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash classical stuff. You can tweet at us slash at, what is it? At CLSS. C-A-L stuff. C-A-L stuff. And uh, I think that's it, right? You got it. Oh, uh, website, classical stuff. Oh, yeah, sure. Did yeah. I say that? All right, cool. Well, anyway. Bye. Bye. Ciao.